since it began in 1995. I would like to introduce to you an exciting and uniquely Irish performance. Riverdance has been seen by over 25 million people throughout 47 countries across six continents and played to a global television audience of over 3 billion. Now, experience Riverdance as never before as we go on a world tour from China well, I've, uh, finally landed here in Guangzhou. to North America arrived in DC yesterday and back again to our hometown of Dublin. Oh, you're at your own man. Here from the producers. I, mean, I did think it had something special, it had great potential. The creative team. I, I actually hated dancing, that's the truth. And of course, the performers. From a young age, I've always felt that, you know, I will be in Riverdance and I will be a lead dancer. As they give you unique behind-the-scenes access Keep it to up. the past present and future of this international phenomenon. This is Riverdance, the podcast. We're like a little I family. I just wasn't happy and I knew things weren't right. Very tired. We're in Cleveland. Oh, came off the phone she says they want you to join the trip and go to China. I was so happy and proud to be I began dancing when I was four years old. Oh, I'm emotional. And I'm just so honoured to be a part of it. Five, six, seven, eight... Hello, I'm Darren Casey, a dancer with Riverdance since 2008, and I'll be taking you on tour around the world, introducing you to the dancers, directors, producers and personalities of the show across this 10-part podcast series. This week, there's crying, tears and emotion as Riverdance wraps up its North American tour in Vancouver. Very emotional. Just going to miss everyone. Very sad. Very emotional. End of an era. Plus, I catch up with production stage manager Mark Anderson, who celebrates 10 years and 1,500 shows with us. Kind of unheard of in my profession for somebody to stay with a show for, for that long. I jumped at the chance. It was a chance to do a tour, which was outside the UK, so I took it. We're in 23 years now, and we're still getting A-list names come and see the show. And everyone still just loves the show. But for now, let me bring you behind the scenes with Riverdance in Vancouver as the dancers get ready to say goodbye. This is it, final city of this 2018 Shannon tour in North America and final city for Riverdance. The noise in the background is sound check commencing for the final time. rotations I just wanted to say thank you uh, for all your hard work all tour to see the show uh, and to see you guys still pumping it out there and giving it your best every single night is a credit to each and every single one of you for a lot of you or for some of you maybe, maybe this is the last time you'll be on this stage and for all of us this will be the last time we will ever be on this stage because the changes that will happen for the 25th are quite drastic in terms of the set that we have here now so this really is the end of an era guys Enjoy the two shows. Thanks for me and Ellen for being amazing and working so hard for us. And we're going to miss you so much. See you soon. It's something which you have to be part of to actually understand. And 
we've just finished 921 shows, seven years, four months, broken down buses to snowstorms, but nothing has stopped us. Like a true river, we forge on. Cassia, Riverdance baby, last show. Uh... Yes, very sad, very, yeah. very sad. Yes, yeah, very emotional. Last shimna, closing shimna. Jason, had act one go? I loved every moment of it. I'm just excited to get out there. We've got to put our head down and work hard and hopefully get that standing ovation. Here we go! Last time ever! That is it. Walk it off for the last time ever. Another milestone was reached in 2018 on the Riverdance crew and that was our production stage manager Mark Anderson celebrating 10 years and 1500 shows. And I caught up with Mark to chat about his favourite moments over the last decade. In Riverdance alone there is 600 lighting cues, there are 8 fly cues and there are around 30 sound cues. The, there's now and then where you end up tripping over your words, especially um, for example like in Heartland, the opening sequence of the, of the chase sequence is all manually cued. Yeah, the dump dumps, or the bump bumps. There was a time when it was all um, automated but now we do it live so that is one part of the show which I do get very nervous over because if I miss time with the sound engineer... It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so there's certain parts of the show which I just like, right, I need to put my head down, just concentrate, just get through this. Even 10 years on, there, there are points which will still trip you up if you're not concentrating. Do you ever get bored watching it? Is it always, each night, do you, do you still have that same, same maintained interest? I, I still have the maintained interest, f for sure. Um, but there are times, you know, when you're going... You know, if you're, especially with us moving so much, there are times when I'm just sitting there going, I just want to be asleep. That's <laughs> all I want to be doing is sleeping right now. But you still get through it because, you know... Any you particular part of the show that you think that? Not really. Sometimes it's just that initial sitting down at the top of the show going, right, have I got the energy for this? <laughs> and, you know, as soon as you get the first Alex Q out of the way, it's grand. But like yourself as a dancer, even if you're feeling the same, as soon as you hear the first applause at the end of the reel, you're going, yeah. okay, great. And, you know, even in houses where we've struggled to get the show in because it's tight, you know, there's the logistics of just trying to get into the building. But before that's all happened, there's been numerous phone calls and emails with Marie Barrett, the production manager. Uh -huh. And me, myself and her have worked together for nearly 10 years now. So we know what we're trying to achieve. And so it's quite an easy for us to, to work it out. But it's trying to relay it to the team of going, this is what we're going to do. Yes, it's not the norm, but... Do they all still get wreckied? One or two venues. Uh, for example, last year, Marie went out to about a handful of venues. Um, the one that sticks to my mind is Biloxi, Mississippi, where she had the to fly casino. out in the casino. Mm. So we had to fly out there to look in advance of how to get it into the building because where the trucks were positioned in relation to the actual theatre, it was a good three-minute walk. And, of course, there's three trucks worth to empty 
So it's the logistics of how many people do we need for that? How does it get in the building? And then it comes down to dressing rooms, it comes down to stage size, the logistics of getting to the building. And all that is done by Marie in advance and then she'll bring me on board and then we will look at one or two venues and then we'll work out a plan in advance. So yeah. the crew, weeks in advance, have all the information that they need and then it's up to them to take what they need and, tr- and then in our meetings before we travel to the venue, we would break it down and going, right, this actually needs to happen first before this can happen. So we always try and keep a standard procedure. Because obviously the show over 10 years has changed dramatically as well. Yeah, yeah. Compared to the Shannon back in 2011 and 12 to the Shannon from 2016 onwards, it's too, even though it's the same show name, it's still a different... It's a different... It's a different beast to be taking on. I know it might seem hard to think about now because it's 10 years ago, but how did the job of production stage manager arise for Mark Anderson? The job arose, let's think about this. So I was on tour on the UK national tour back in 2007 and I had a friend called Niall Connolly and we have you know, been friends for years before that and he had put my name forward to the office and then I was rehearsing a Christmas show um, up in London at the time and Sean phoned me up asking if I was interested in the job as stage manager. So I jumped at the chance. It was a chance to do a tour, so, which was outside the UK, so I took it. Where was it going? Was it going to America? We started in, I think you pronounce it Tampa, in Finland. Ah. Um, so we started there on January the 1st, 2008. And so for the first three months of 2008, I was the stage manager. As the gods allow, There, I had a phone call about a month before the end of, I think it must be in February, um, offering me the stage manager for Mary Poppins. I turned it down. How does that go from varying from show to show? Is it? Is it? Does it take a while to adjust? Like Mary Poppins is a completely different kettle of fish to Riverdance. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing is, you know, I just literally got my foot in the door with with the company, so I wasn't interested in Mary Poppins at the time. So I spoke to my stage manager. Mary be rage, and she's missed out. Well, she has indeed, but she ended up with a better stage manager. Um, so I happened to be with Niall at the time, and so I spoke to the stage manager of Mary Poppins, and I said, look, I said, I'm not available, and I'm not really quite interested, um, but I know somebody who was going to jump at the chance. So I handed the phone over to Niall. Hmm. Niall took the phone call, and then within half an hour, he had got the job of stage manager, and Niall unfortunately had to leave, and then over the, the role passed on to me. So we had yeah. a very short period for me to learn the production stage manager's role, before I was flying out to, yeah. to Japan to start the Far East tour in 2008. So Niall went on to Mary Poppins and then I took over the role. You know, I never thought that 10 years later I'd still be sitting there yeah. calling the show or, you know, doing and having the opportunities that I've had over the last 10 years. Over 10 years, what's the change has been like? What does the change mean to you? Like, is it, does it take a lot of preparation for the show to, you know, because you've been used to it for so long? Yeah, it, it was it was very interesting. Like, when I very first started back in 08, the book was, you know, we had 318 lighting cues, and then... The book hadn't changed for years, I'd imagine. Uh, it was fairly consistent up to that point, I believe. Um, but then we had John Komsky come on board uh, to relight the show, and so the prompt book, the show calling book changed hmm. to 548. So when I came back and had to relearn that, I was expecting the, the short, the 318 Q version. But then all of a sudden I'm like, 
oh, okay, right, yeah. here we go then. Yeah, so I had to learn that. And then also, I was used to Oscar Lindorus. I knew it had been cut. Oh, and Oscar. Oscar was a great number. It's It was one of those numbers that the cast had a lot of fun on stage and you could see the fun that was being had. But then obviously, um, and Olivia came in. Which was yeah. a completely different number. And that is quite a, a very heavy queuing number. Even though a lot of people don't see what's going on. There's 20 lightning cues in that two and a half minute number. In Olivia, isn't it? In Anne Olivia, there's a lot of cues, which a lot of people don't notice. The same in DT, a lot of you boys don't notice that every time you move from the V to a straight line, mm. there's lights moving and following you the whole time. And it's the same in Anne Olivia, there's lights which are tracking around the girls. Do you think over the last 10 years that you've known Irish dance, that you could spot if someone was making a mistake or... Someone a good dancer, someone not necessarily a good dancer. Um, yeah, I be- yes, you can. Um, it was one of the things, like, when I took on the role and... Because I ex- see it up there when you're doing your lighting check sometimes for Anna Olivia for the lead. You know where the back foot goes, you know where the front foot goes. Yeah, there's certain things which I know the basics of. You know, so there's certain things, you know, when somebody new comes in, yes, sometimes they do stand out because they're trying so hard that... It- Mm. It transitions out the fr- from the front. Because it's so uniformed. Yeah, it's so uniformed. And somebody, you know, especially when there's somebody new who's been spent years or this has been their ultimate job, as soon as they get it, they're so keen that sometimes the keenness shows through and you're going, just pull it back a little bit because you you need to work as a unit, as one team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are times when I, you can see things that the footwork isn't quite right or somebody's not in the right place. And especially when you've spent time rehearsing it and you're going, come on this is where you need to be. And there are one or two people who, even now, 10 years on, I'm still going, you know that spike block on the floor, it's there for a reason. It's yeah. not there to make it look like, uh, you know, Heathrow Airport runway with all the glowing <laughs> tape. It's there for a reason. Could you please aim for it? What, Mark, over the last 10 years has been the biggest, oh crap, that went wrong? The worst things that that can happen to the show really is a show stop because if you stop the show, it takes a lot to stop the show and it takes even more to restart it. It is one of those things of because there's so many elements to the show. If something is causing the show to stop, it's trying to pinpoint it so quickly because mm. from sound, from lighting, to even to, even down to performers, you know, who may have an accident on stage. And thankfully, we've not had an accident where we've had to stop on stage because um, if anything really goes wrong with the show, it's normally a technical issue you know, and we're trying to pinpoint what's causing it or if it's going to reappear. So I suppose, you know, a showstop for me is the one part where I just go, here we go. Mm. And it's trying to make it happen as quick as possible with the least amount of interruption to the show. Do you still love touring, Mark? I do, I do really do enjoy it. Like one of my friends brought it up to me a few years ago. She's like, oh, what are you working on now? I said, oh, I said, I'm doing Riverdance on tour. And she was just like, do you remember what you wrote in your yearbook when you left college? And I was like, yes, I'm fully aware what of what I wrote. What did you write? Do tell. Um, my comments were, um, looking forward to going into this industry, looking forward to never touring and never working on a dance show. Right, so you stuck to that. So I stuck to that really well. Mm-hmm. I stuck to it for a f- for about two years when I qualified and then went on tour and then the largest part of my career has been touring on a dance show. And, touring. and I'm glad I have done it. It's, be- it's one of the most amazing experiences. What's been the most amazing out of it all? We've had very famous celebrities come to the show. You know, I remember two, three years ago when I think yourself or somebody else came up to me going, oh, Judge Judy's in row three. And I'm like, no, she's not. She, that's a highlight for mine. Yeah. 
And admittedly, you know, you, you were all telling me, and I'm going, no, if Judge Judy was in, we would know. And then obviously I have to go you to took the... took her on stage then. That was the gauging, wasn't it? Um, well, when you told me um, that she was in the audience, I went out and looked and stood at the front of the stage during the intermission. Um, I looked out and then we did spot her. Hmm. So following the show, um, we, myself and Carol of the Gaiety Theatre, we went down and stood at the end of her row and waited for her to come along. And then we basically accosted Judge Judy going, you know, asking her if she could come backstage. And she actually wanted to come meet you all anyway. So it actually worked out really well. And she was, you know, a phenomenal lady who was a lot shorter than I actually ever thought she was going to be. She was tiny, yes. And, you know, and that's the thing with the show that we, you know, we're in 23 years now and we're still getting A-list names coming to see the show. Mm. And everyone still just loves the show. 23 years, coming up to the 25th anniversary. A bit of a break. What does the break entail for Mark Anderson? Um, I have one or two... Go back to Mary Poppins, the No, it won't be back to Mary Poppins. Um, I have one or two projects on the back burner at the moment, so it's a matter of just seeing what what happens with them. Mm -hmm. But... 25th anniversary. Will you go again? I will. I'll definitely be seeing Front of House with my pump book. Yeah. On the next episode of Riverdance the Podcast, we are back home in Dublin in the Gaiety Theatre for a 13-week run. It's great to be home. We're all just so happy to be here. The Gaiety's my favourite theatre in the world. It's like a second home, you know. And I speak to lead dancer Jason O'Neill about his remarkable Riverdance career. I started in 2009, so it's been like nine years on and off. I saw Riverdance and I was like, what exactly is this? This is phenomenal. It changed everything for me. It just made Irish dancing so cool and so current and so different. I love the music, the choreography. The first two months were very, very difficult. I actually think I suffered a little bit of like anxiety and depression with it. I want to stay at the top. That's how my mind works. Dancing's been an escape for me. Don't take life too seriously. Don't take dancing too seriously. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And join me next time as Riverdance the Podcast brings you on tour.